Amen. Again, good to see each one this morning. You have your Bibles open to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 21 through 32 this morning as we end our series on keys to reclaiming our nation. Again, we've chose to do this series because, you know, we're in an election year. In fact, Tuesday will be, you know, the voting day for the primary election. And we want to encourage everyone, if you did not vote already in early voting, that you go to your precinct and do that uh, Tuesday. It's very important. Because I want to ask the question this morning as we end this series, has America lost sight of the true living God? Folks, that's a question we really need to take a look at this morning. Again, this Tuesday, March the 3rd, is a very important primary election that's going to determine, you know, the direction of our great nation. You know, if you, as a Christian, you do not exercise your right to vote, then let me, I don't, I, I want to put this uh, as, as calmly as I can, as nice as I can, and as gentle as I can, even though that's very difficult for me to do at times. But listen, we as children of God, we must vote for people who hold to our biblical values. And if we do not vote for people who hold to biblical values, then folks, listen, we have no right to gripe when things go south within our nation. It just irritates the dickens out of me to hear people talk about, well, how did we get to where we're at as a nation? In fact, I talked to a person the other day, and they were asking that question, how can things be the way they are? And my question to them is, do you vote? You know what they said? They're not even registered to vote. And I said, then be quiet. Was that rude? <laughs> okay, then be quiet. Because listen, if you do not exercise your right to vote and you do not vote for people who hold to the biblical values that you hold to, then we do not have a right to open our mouth and complain when things are, are the way they are. Let me just read some uh, statistics to you real quick. In the 2016 election, it's estimated that 61% of evangelicals voted. Now, you say that's good, and that is good. It could be better. In the 2012 election, there was an estimated 59% of evangelists, uh, evangelicals, I'll get that word out in a moment, you know, voted. Now, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, in, C in 2016, it was a 2% increase. And you say, well, that's not very much. But can I tell you something? That 2% increase in those who call themselves evangelicals who voted, you know, it, it done away with many of the ungodly policies that one Barack Hussein Obama, you know, put into place when he was in office. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. If 2% increase done away with a lot of the liberal, you know, uh, ideology that was brought into our nation, our laws and policies, Think if we could get that number up 5% or 10% this year where we could go, you know, with some of these liberal policies that have taken over our nations. Listen, evangelicals voting their biblical values, you know, should be a priority over voting party. 
You should not worry about voting party. When you pull that lever, you should vote for people who hold to your biblical values. And again, folks, if we put people in office who are totally opposite of what we know the Bible says, then we're just as much as fault as they are when, uh, you know, our nation adopts laws and policies that go against the Word of God. You know, as you look at our nation today, I'm afraid that America is nowhere near where it was 20 or 30 years ago, and I believe we would all agree with that. But does that mean it's over for America? Does that mean that there's no hope of us returning to God? You know, in my opinion, you know, there is still hope for America at this time. However, Christians are going to come out, have to come out of the closet. Listen, guys, gals, you've got to come out of the closet if you're a child of God and quit hiding within your closet and afraid to uh, share with others what your biblical values are. And you have to begin voting for those who uh, hold to those values. We have to get out into the streets. We've got to begin demanding that our elect, uh, elected officials you know, do not pass laws that violate the written word of God or listen, it is going to be all over for our great nation. Listen, if we as the people of God do not elect leaders that will help return us back to the biblical base that we was founded on, if we as children of God do not begin taking a stand for righteousness, I believe that all hope for our great nation is gone. Now today I want to ask the question, has America lost sight of the true and living God? Here in Romans 1, we see what happens when a person, a people, or a nation lose sight of the true living God. Now let's begin. I said we were going to look at Romans 1, 21 through 32, but let's go back to verse 16 and 17. Because I believe 16 and 17 kind of lays some groundwork as to when uh, people lose sight of the living God. Paul said this as he has wrote it right in the church at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So what is going to be the context here in these two verses? The gospel of Christ. Keep that in your mind. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In verse 17, he says, for therein. For therein what? What's the context? Tell me about it. What's the context? The gospel of Christ. In other words, the word of God. Therein. Therein the word of God, look at this, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, what is going to keep a nation or a people on track, folks, is the Word of God. Look, the bottom line is this. When a nation abandons the Word of God, that nation no longer has an understanding of the God of the Word. Now look at that again. When a nation or a people abandons the Word of God, the written Word of God that people have shed their blood over to give us to us, when a nation abandons this Word of God, that nation no longer has an understanding of the God of the Word. And I'm afraid that in our nation today, there's many, many people, and I believe maybe as a nation as a whole, we do not have an understanding of the God of this Word because we've abandoned the Word. 
Look, I firmly believe that since the 60s, this nation has abandoned the Word of God, and because of that, we no longer have a true understanding of the God of the Word. Let me give you some uh, uh, things here. In 1962 and 1963, prayer and Bible reading were taken out of our public schools. And you know what the church did? Protested in the streets? No. We remained silent. And you know why we remained silent? Because the majority of the churches said it's a political issue. And the consequence of that, folks, was teen pregnancy skyrocketed and violence in our schools increased. When did you start seeing, you know, uh, uh, a school shooting? You know, when I was growing up, and most of you in here was growing up, okay, we carried guns to school. My pickup had a, a gun rack in the back. In the back window, how many of you had gun racks? Okay, okay. How many of you carried a gun in that gun rack? Okay. How many of you carried the gun at school in the gun rack in the parking lot? You know, how many of you ever seen a school shooting back in your day? You didn't. Okay, you, you didn't. In 1973, the Supreme Court decided that unborn babies had no unalienable right, okay, to live. And you know what the church did? They got out there and protested? No, the church remained silent. And what was the excuse of the church remaining silent? Tell me. It's a political issue. And the consequence of that, folks, is now since 1973, over 60 million babies have been slaughtered through the ungodly act of abortion. On June the 26th, 2015, the Supreme Court, you know, ruled to uh, redefine marriage. And they based their opinion on the 14th Amendment, thus calling it a civil right. And the consequence of that is a decay in the traditional family and a direct attack against religious liberty. Look, all of these decisions were a result of ungodly men and women who were placed in office by Christian men and women who voted to put them in office either directly or indirectly. Now, how can you directly vote to put someone in office by, you know, uh, that does not hold to your biblical values? You vote for them. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? You know what their platform is. You know what they stand for. And you know that what they're standing for, you know, goes against the written word of God but yet you vote for them anyway. You have directly placed someone in office who is going to set laws and policies that violate what you call the Word of God. How do you do it indirectly? You know, indirectly, you put these type of people in office because you don't vote at all. So you've indirectly put them in office because you didn't vote against Look, the simple fact is our view of God and his righteousness as a nation has been distorted. And for the most, for most within our nation, they wouldn't even recognize the truth if it hit them right between the eyes. Look, I've heard so many people ask, how in the world can things be happening in our nation the way they're happening today? How can those who call themselves Christians see no problem with same-sex marriage? How can those who call themselves Christians see no problem with killing over 4,000 babies a day through the ungodly act of abortion? How can those who call themselves Christians, you know, not stand up and fight 
when seven judges rule to take the Ten Commandments out of schools and courthouses. How can this be? You know why the Ten Commandments are down? Do you know why they fought so hard to remove the Ten Commandments from schools and courthouses? It's because the Ten Commandments are the Word of God. Now listen to me here. They are the Word of God. And if you remove the Word of God from the minds and the hearts of the people, you've removed the God of the Word from the hearts and the minds of the people. Listen, when you remove the God of the Word from the hearts and the minds of people, you now have a nation who no longer hears from God because they've removed themselves from Him and they've lost sight of Him. The first thing that happens when people lose sight of the living God, let's get into our lesson this morning. The first thing that happens when a nation or a people or a person loses sight of the true and living God, is there's a, de a, a decline in culture. Now, the definition of culture is this, a set of norms, a set of behaviors, a set of beliefs and customs that exist within a population of a sovereign nation. That's what the definition of culture is. A decline in culture is the thing that will destroy a nation quicker than anything else, and I believe, my personal opinion here, I believe that our norms, our behaviors, and our beliefs and our customs are nothing of what they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, hey, even five years ago. Look, the main reason that God was continually telling Israel to keep themselves free of nations who served other gods is because of the culture, culture differences that would come with those strange gods. People say, why did, why did God tell Israel to destroy all them, you know, uh, people like that, you know? It's because God understood if the nation of Israel allowed these foreign gods into the camp, that it would destroy the culture. And it did many, many times. This is one of the big problems in our nation today. We've become a melting pot of cultures, and as a result, all the various religions and cultures have destroyed our American culture. We don't even know what our American culture is anymore. And rather than expecting them to convert to Christianity, we've given into the lie that Christians, if we're going to be good little Christians, and this is being good little Christians, okay? But if we're going to be good little Christians, we have to accept all religions, all beliefs, and just let them do their own thing, then we'll be good little Christians. You know, don't we want to be good little Christians? That's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah, we do, but we don't. If it means selling our culture, okay? Look, I believe in the First Amendment. I believe in the freedom of religion. But when strange gods, when strange religions be begin sinking their tentacles into our culture, and we allow it to change our godly culture into a culture of, that is anti-God and anti-Christ, then, folks, a line must be drawn in the sand. You remember Moses, when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, and the people had made for themselves a golden calf, you know, to worship. 
Moses came down and they, they had this golden calf and they was worshiping this golden calf. And Moses understood that he must not allow the godly culture of his people to be corrupted by that foreign god. So what did Moses do? You remember the story. He drew a line in the sand and he said, "If you know those who's going to worship that foreign god, you stay there. Those that's going to come over or, and worship the true god, you come over here. And if I remember correctly, there were some 3,000 people killed that day because they chose to continue worshiping the foreign god. You remember not just Moses, but, you know, uh, 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 Joshua. He drew a line in the sand one day. And what Joshua said to the people was, choose you this day whom you will serve. Folks, listen to me. It's, it's time that the American Christians, you know, decide this day who we're going to serve. You know, are we going to serve, you know, the living God, the God of this word? Or are we just going to accept anything and everything that comes along in order to be good little Christians and get along? You know, we, we've got to be tolerant to get along, huh? No. No, we don't. Look, we've seen a decline in our culture, and as a result, our nation is being destroyed. While many who call themselves Christians or children of God, they sit, sit quietly aside accepting this lie of tolerance, of tolerance. Look, I believe there's three steps to the decline of a culture. The first step is this, and we're going to look at verse 21. To know God, but to push the knowledge of God away. To know Him, but push that knowledge away. Look at verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, uh, kind of circle the word new God. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. But, now remember I told you some good buts and bad buts in the Bible. This is a bad but. But became bad, uh, vain in their imagination, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Now understand who Paul is writing this to. Paul is not writing this self, you know, to the drunk lying in a gutter covered in his own vomit. Paul is not writing this to the drug addict who's strung out in an abandoned apartment with a needle hanging out their arm. Paul is not talking here about the prostitute who's standing on the street corner there selling her body for drugs. He's not talking about the homosexual, you know, celebrating out in the street because sodomy has become legal or even the evil person who's going around raping and killing people, terrorizing the community. That's not who Paul is writing this to. Paul is writing this, he's speaking here to those who have made at one time a decision to follow Christ those who call themselves believers. Look at the word know there. The Greek word for know there means to know, especially through personal experience, firsthand acquaintance. So that's how we know he's talking about those who know. He said, again, because that when they knew God. In other words, they had a personal experience with God. They had a firsthand acquaintance with God. So who's Paul talking to here? He's talking to believers. He's talking to 
the church. He's talking to people who say they believe in God. He's speaking about those people who have had a personal experience with Jesus Christ in a saving way, but they've abandoned the Word of God, ceasing to give Him glory, and they begin looking through a world view. Folks, right there is what's wrong with the church of Jesus Christ today in the United States of America. We're looking through the world view instead of through the biblical view. And that causes us to, you know, accept all of these things because of tolerance and, all, and what it's done is changed our culture as Christians. They begin to look at it through a worldview, through the eyes of a foolish person rather than the eyes of a wise person. And the next thing they know, they see nothing wrong with the things going on around them. I will assure you in the United States of America today, there's a lot of things that are wrong that is going on, that society has accepted. Therefore, since society has accepted it, the church has accepted it as well. And what happens is they find themselves worshiping the creator, or creation, rather than the creator. Now, I'm going to make a bold statement here, but that, that's okay. Y'all know I make bold statements all the time. And it may upset some, maybe probably not none of you here, here but those may be watching online you know, it may upset some of those, but that's okay too. You know, but based on this passage in verse 21, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ and you see nothing wrong with the change in our culture, nothing wrong with same-sex marriage, nothing wrong with killing babies, nothing wrong with living together outside of marriage, you know, uh, nothing wrong with Christians losing our religious freedoms and many other things that's going on in our nation today that violate the written Word of God, then you are one that Paul is speaking to who does not glorify God as Jehovah, who is not thankful for all that He has done to you or done for you. You are one who has become vain in your imagination and one whose heart has become now look, you may think you're wise going along with the crowd, but God says you're a fool. You're a fool. You see, every culture that has ever pushed away or suppressed the knowledge of God, the next step in that culture has been idolatry. Because look, we're going to worship something. I mean, if we were just created that way, we're going to worship and folks, if we remove the Word of God, we've removed the God of the Word, now what are we going to worship? What are we going to worship? We're going to worship what the world worships. Okay? And once idolatry has taken the culture, then there are other steps that people go through. The first step is idolatry leads to the worship of man. And then the next thing is idolatry leads to the worship of an image. Of man and then it goes to where they even worship animals that's that's the steps it takes you know there are not there, there are those and this this always gets me there are those who see nothing wrong with killing over 4,000 babies a day within the borders of the United States of America yet you let one turtle egg get crushed on a beach and they cry their eyes out bless their little hearts you know, they see nothing wrong, you know, with killing babies. You drive down a road and you run over a certain type of lizard and they're going to cry their little hearts out. Bless their little hearts. 
Where have we gotten as a nation? We began worshiping the image of animals, and not just the image, but animals themselves. Look, as the knowledge of God is pushed away and idolatry takes over, the people find themselves falling before these images of false gods, and they no longer have the concept of the one true living God. And once we lose our tr concept of the one true living God, you know, and begin worshiping idols, fo folks, it takes us places we never imagined that we would ever go. Look, when you study ancient history, you'll find that the pagan heathen, you know, that had suppressed the knowledge of God, turned to the worship of idols, and the next step, they began practicing sexual immorality along with their false gods and their false worship. Now, what happens in the next step of culture, when the culture declines? Then God will turn people over to their sin. Look at verse 26 and 27. In other words, once culture pushes away the word of God, therefore no longer recognizes the God of the word, and they begin worshiping idols, okay? Then God's going to get to the point, he says, okay, you, you want that idol over me? Then I am going to turn you over to that idol. Look at verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affection, for even their women did not, uh, uh, for even their women did change the natural use. Now, I want you to notice the word natural there. Into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the, you see the word natural again, use of the woman, burned in, uh, in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of the era which was met look the one thing for certain folks is when people or a nation cease to worship the true living god and and gets turned over to the worship of idols it isn't long until god after trying to draw them back he's going to continually try to draw them back but there comes a, a time he draws a line in the sand and he'll turn them over to the things they desire and it doesn't stop there what he will do next is give that nation the leaders they deserve. Think about that. He'll give the nation the leaders they deserve. Look, what we see there, folks, is homosexuality is not normal. I mean, he said that two or three times. One big debate going on now is the comparison of homosexual rights with the civil rights movement for black, black people in the 60s and 70s. But anyone whose mind is rational can see that it's natural for a black person to be born black because that black person had a mother and a father, notice masculine and feminine, they had a mother and a father who was black, therefore it was normal, it was natural for them to be born that way. The truth is, it's not natural for a person to be homosexual it's a choice they make now here's a question how can one say they were born that way when the scripture says it's not natural look we can be assured of one thing a nation is on the road to destruction when that which is unnatural becomes natural and it becomes an acceptable way of life 
Do you think our nation has gotten to the point that that which is unnatural has become natural? God forbid. God help. Now, let me, let me throw this out. This is not a hate statement toward the homosexual personally. Jesus loved the homosexual enough to die on the cross for them. Are you with me? And he still loves the homosexual enough to die on the cross for them. So if Jesus loves them enough to die on the cross for them, who am I to love them any less? Now, let me say this, and I've told you this before. Debbie has three people in her family who are homosexual, a niece, two cousins. They come over to our house. They're welcome in our house. You know, of course, they know where we stand, and they know when they come to our house, they're not allowed any type of physical contact, uh, contact that would let our kids know really what's going on there. Are you with me? But when they come over, I hug them and kiss them just like I do some of you who let me. But, uh, you know, why? Because I love them. I love them. If Jesus loved them enough to die for them, who am I to love them any less? Are you with me? So I I don't, it's not them that I have a problem with, it's the sin. You see, eh, eh, let me just throw this out. It's the same sin with them that I have a problem with as the person who gossips about them that I have a problem with that sin. Are you with me? One sin's no greater than the other. But here's the thing. So I hope you understand here. It's nothing, you know, it's not a hate statement toward the homosexual personally. Rather, it's the factual statement about the sin of homosexuality that has taken over our nation. And the church is too afraid, or what? Maybe that's a bad word, to speak out against it. And you know why? Because the unnatural has become natural. And when you preach against it, you're going against society. And society does not want to be gone against. We as Christians must not be afraid to take a stand against sin itself, any sin, and not back down to say, as Scripture does, it's an abomination against God. You know, ever since the 60s, this nation has taken a moral decline, and that decline has its roots in sex. Think about that. Ever since the 60s, this nation has been on a steady decline, and, and, and that steady decline has its roots in the area of sex. In the 60s, you know, which most of us in here grew up in, in the 60s, it was known as the sexual revolution, and our nation has not been the same since. You know, anything and everything sexual was deemed okay so long as those who were involved in it felt good about it. And they could justify it. I remember a saying in the 60s. In fact, they even wrote a song about this. How many of you remember the song, If It Feels Good, Do It? Yeah? You know what that is? You, you don't remember that lyric? Well, you're not old. You're not old. You're young now. Go Google it. Not right now, but later. Yeah, if it feels good, do it. Folks, that was the mentality back in those days. And you know what? That is, that is still mentality today. 
If it feels good, do it. As long as you feel okay about it, then, you know, it doesn't matter what others think. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter what others think, but it matters what the Word of God has to say about it. Now, because everything felt good and everything is accepted and nothing is surprising that you hear today, it's all because it has become accepted by society. And because it's been accepted by society, the church has accepted it also. God help us. You know, magazines are full of sex. Television commercials are full of, you know, some of these television commercials I watch, and when it gets over, I say, what were they selling? You know, I mean, some of them, I say, well, they're selling sex. I mean, they, you know, I mean, they may be selling a pair of shoes, but my goodness, your, your, your eyes never get down to the shoes. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher, but I'm a man, too. You know what I'm talking about? You don't even know they're selling shoes. I mean, that's the generation that we're living in here, folks, okay? Television, you know what? Even cartoons are full of filth and things that would, would embarrass men back in the 50s. Why? Because society has accepted it as what? The norm. The norm. Why the change? Because instead of the church taking a stand in the 60s when this filth began, we become tolerant thinking that it was just a fad, that it would go away. So what we did, we did, we didn't want to create any problems, so we stuck our heads in the sand, thinking that when we pulled our heads out of the sand, you know, it would all be gone. But folks, when we pulled our, cell, our heads out of the sand, it had multiplied. It had multiplied. Rather than being gone, now it has swept our nation. Look, because our nation, because our nation has been turned over to the vile affection, the United States is no better off than Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, Billy Graham once said this, if God doesn't bring judgment upon the U.S. for our moral depravity, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. Wow. Third thing here in verse 28, God would give them a mind void of judgment. Here's what he says in verse 28. Even and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, who is he talking to? Didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. Those who had knew Christ. Okay? Now we see they didn't even like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. In other words, to do those things that were not natural. To do those things that they... they, they have found pleasure in over him look we're we are we are where we're at as a nation folks because many within our nation who have known god have already reached this final step in the decline of our culture they have already received a reprobate mind now what is a reprobate mind a reprobate mind is a mind that can no longer think rationally I want to tell you, Washington is full of people with a reprobate mind. They can't think rationally. And how did they get there? By people in our churches who can't think rationally either and voted for them. 
a mind void of judgment is, is a mind, you know, that no longer can comprehend the judgment of God. You know why they have no problem passing laws that they pass? Because they don't believe in the judgment of God. They don't believe they're going to have to answer to God. Why do Christian people still vote for them? Because even Christian people have uh, received this reprobate mind and they don't think God is going to, you know, call them on the mat one day to answer for why they would put a person in office who believed entirely against his written word. And the third thing is a mind that no longer believes in the existence of God. You see, if we don't believe in the judgment of God, then in reality there is no God. Because if there was a God, that God would bring judgment. Does that make sense? I mean, you say, well, that don't make no sense. Well, that, that's the way a, a, a mind that's void of judgment works. Look, a mind void of judgment, folks, is a very, very dangerous mind. The, this is the reason we have politicians who have passed laws to violate the Word of God, and Christians sit back and say, how can that be? How can a person in their right mind come up with such a law or a policy? Again, the reason is, is because they're not in their right mind. Are you with me? If we willfully vote for a person whose worldview is against the Bible, folks, listen, we don't like hearing this, we don't like, uh, you know, believing this, but if we willfully vote for a person whose worldview is against the Bible, the written Word of God, we're just as guilty as they are. Now, what are some characteristics of a mind void of judgment here? First of all, they're filled with every kind of sin. Now, I'm taking this right out of verse 28, or verse 29 and, and 32 here. They're, they're filled with every kind of sin, evil, selfishness, and hatred. They're full of jealousy, murder, fighting, lying, and thinking the worst about each other. You know, they, they, they gossip. They say evil things about each other. They hate God. Uh, they, they're rude. They're conceited. They brag about themselves. You know, they invent ways of doing evil. They don't obey their parents. You know, they, they, they're foolish. They, 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 they don't keep their promises, he says there in verse 30, uh, 31, and they show no kindness or mercy to others. In verse 32, they know God's law says, or what God's law says, you know, about those who live this way, how they should die. But they themselves not only continue to do these evil things, they applaud others who do them. Wow. Wow. A reprobate mind, a mind void of judgment. You know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like many people on both sides of the aisle that we've sent to Washington to represent us. I mean, you go home, that's in your notes there. You look at all these characteristics of a mind void of judgment. And I believe it describes many in Washington on both sides of the aisle that we, as Christian people, have put into office. And probably it describes many that are still within our churches. Church, has America lost sight of the living God? Based on what we have said here this morning, I'll let you decide that. I'll let you decide. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you know, you, you, you're not really familiar about what the Word of God says. 
And you'll never understand what the Word of God says until you know the God of the Word. So if you're here today and you've never invited Christ as your personal Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity here in just a moment to invite him. We're going to, in a moment, stand, and we're going to have a song of invitation. And we just ask that you come. We'll get you with an altar counselor. Let them share the gospel with you and show you how you can invite Christ into your life. And through the Word of God, you'll be, be able to come to know the God of the Word. And you'll be able to see where we're really at. as a Christian nation. Maybe you just want to come down this morning and pray for our nation, pray for this election coming up. The altar's open for that. Maybe you want to come for rededication, church membership, whatever it might be. We're going to give you that opportunity. Let's pray.